do investors care? You know, personal transformation work, from my, from my perspective, is the job that's never done. Um, you know, I'm a massive believer that your emotional state is really important um, in ensuring that you're performing well. So taking responsibility for that emotional state is, I think, the first thing that you really got to grasp onto. So, you had a great idea, brought in some mates to get it going, and managed to hustle some money off for family and friends. The business is growing and now you need more cash to step on the gas. What do you do? For many founders, this is the moment where they look for external investment, for venture capital. We were curious to find out how investors think about the emotional life of the people they have invested in. Do they care? Is it their role to get involved? It was eye-opening to learn that for many VCs, the emotional resilience of a founder does not feature as a factor for the success of the business. Not so for Simon Kant, co-founder and managing partner at Reinventure in Australia. Simon's views are informed by his personal experience. He talks very candidly about his own bumps along the road and how he himself is accessing help. We're exploring how you learn as a founder to manage the conflict between your thoughts and your feelings, how you get to the point where you take responsibility for your well-being and come to the recognition that, quote-unquote, it's not something that happens to us. We also learn how reInventure helps our portfolio companies and we examine the question if investors should pay for the support. Simon also shares how he manages the tension between being an investor and a coach. The recording happened during the COVID pandemic. We also take a small detour where we look at how the situation affects founders and we draw the analogy to the grieving process. Please meet Simon and occasionally the background is dog. This is Naked by the Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Brought to you by Vladimir Kobrestinska and Nectarios Lolios. And remember to subscribe, follow and rate Naked to help us share it with the world. Uh, welcome, Simon. Uh, it's lovely to have you. you. Um, Simon, who lives in Australia and is starting in from autumnal Sydney, hmm. whereas we have here the first glimpses of autumn, uh, sorry, of spring, of spring in, in hmm. London and in, in, in Prague. Prague. So it's quite an international hmm. conversation. Um, we're very excited to have you uh, with us today. I am a partner and a co-founder with Reinventure. We're a fintech venture fund. We started out in 2014. Um, we've uh, now got three funds with uh, about 30 companies um, that we've invested in to date. And, um, yeah, this is my second time being involved in venture capital. Did you yeah. always kind of like, or was it that you always knew that you wanted to go in the investor space? Because I, I know very little of the background, right? So I'm curious. Yeah, no, to be honest, I mean, in Australia, venture investing is not something you ever would have left university thinking you were going to have a career mm. in it. Well, certainly not the time I left university, which um, was back <laughs> in the 1990s. So... Mm. <clears throat> so, no, I, I didn't ever really plan to go into venture capital. In fact, I was a, a lawyer originally um, mm. with one of the big international legal firms. 
but I quickly realized that being a lawyer wasn't for me. That was the one thing I got very clear on. Um, that in a sense, as a lawyer, you were a professional warrior. You were just outsourcing people's worry for them. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's people who are much better at doing that than me. So I, I looked for more creative things to do. You know, this is so, the and I'm curious because for a lot of, I mean, I guess for us, but also for a lot of people we talk to when doing this kind of a jump or a leap and doesn't have to be necessarily a jump. It can be even a climbing towards a different journey. There are other support mechanisms beyond ourselves looking inwards. Mm-hmm. Was there something else for you then as you described that you actually worked quite deeply with yourself um, there wasn't really, to be honest. I wish there had been. You know, it wasn't, you know, there was not a culture of personal transformation going on in the mid-90s in Australia. Um, and, you know, the best support that I had, to be honest, was despite generally being in a, you know, in law, you're surrounded by very intellectual friends. I was incredibly fortunate to have some very dear friends from high school and it was not, I didn't go to a competitive high school. I ended up going to a tiny little high school that was full of all sorts of eclectic people. It had actually been a girls' school that had only turned into a boys' school um, four years before I joined. So there were 30 boys in my year and 70 girls. Mm. So I think I learned a lot about my own emotional world and how to, you know. Oh, that sounds nice. Um, negotiate that and how to connect with it both from you know from from a a much less kind of intellectually driven group of friends that I that I walked away from high school with and if anything they probably supported me through that transition by showing me that there were other ways to think about life than the ways I typically thought about it that was luck so, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it appears that well first of all talking to you you, you are a very self-aware person right uh, you you have you're very articulate about what's happened to you in your 20s um mm-hmm. a few years ago you wrote uh, this this very insightful blog post about another oh, moment yeah. in your life where you had uh, a fundamental recognition um i'm trying to understand how it works uh okay if you walk through life and you think you know what's going on inside you uh, you still fall back into patterns where you kind of ignore that, right? Because that blog post that you wrote was very much about, I started this journey with reinvention and it was amazing, et cetera, et cetera. And there was this point where I realized that, oh my God, something is fundamentally not working. What were the signals that helped you identify that you're probably approaching a similar situation like in your, in your 20s, where you need to take a step back and actually evaluate what's going on and take action? Look, I, I mean, I think that, like, personal work, you know, personal transformation work, from my, from my perspective, is the job that's never done. You know, like, um, so I, I, I feel like, I mean, I've got all sorts of theories that I won't kind of go into now about, I guess, where all of this comes from and what sets us off down the path that we, we go down. But my experience of personal change is that you get these moments of clarity and they feel like these incredible transformations. You often think, oh, my God, my, I will never go back to that way of living. My life is changed forever. 
but actually the you know the the deeply rooted drivers um they don't shift that quickly not in my experience they're much slower to shift and and actually i'm not even sure how much they do shift i think what we get is we get awareness about those drivers mm, yeah we hopefully get notice that they're arising and are able to consciously go i'm actually not going to make the reactive choice that i want to yeah. make i'm going to think about the choice that i make here and try and choose a, a higher order choice yeah. um so you know it's a version of the price of freedom is eternal vigilance the price of the price of you know personal freedom is similarly eternal vigilance about your own drivers and reactions and so i started a journey um in 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 this new fund and you know again i felt like it was a, an incredible opening moment that was <laughs> inspiring it was just full of energy and excitement full of hope but you know invariably some of my old patterns would slip back in um and that's what i talked about in the blog the way that um i would start second guessing my in my own guidance about which sort of companies i should be investing in um what founders to believe in and i in second guessing it i started to trip myself up and that was what i talked about in the blog post is kind of surrendering um yeah. yourself into uh a sort of trust in life and a trust in the future rather than having to get every single decision right and being so caught up in in trying to think through everything to the nth degree that you actually pull all the juice out of it or the in intuition out of it um yeah no you know this sounds so we'll obviously share the blog post in our notes for the podcast but um i just want to kind of build on this because you said something interesting when you were describing your kind of transition from being a lawyer and maybe even before where there was this checklist right by which we kind of consciously really driven by mind we want to solve the problem or challenge we have ahead of ourselves and now you are coming into this space in an investor space where checklists are actually you know one of the key tools we use right and then sure. yeah so so how does that kind of come together because i see this like constant potential fight which you might be you know kind of finding yourself within um yeah tell us yeah. a little bit more about what's happening right now for you in terms of how you how you drive being who you are as an investor and as Simon yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i mean one of the one of the things that i would say is um a great blessing as you sort of move on in your career is that you can start to assign some of the checklists work to other people <laughs> and mm. you know we have some awesome associates and analysts on our team who do that stuff so much better than me anyway um that i'm i'm kind of happy to hand that over at the end of the day i i mean i still i i like to try and make sure i can and still capable of it although it's remarkable how you how your um you know you hit 45 and suddenly you can't see things as clearly as you used to see them without mm. glasses <laughs> and um 
and you can't remember to do how to do spreadsheets quite as detailed and, and involved as you used to when you're in your 20s either. So there's a little bit of learned helplessness that's probably a little quite helpful in some ways, but and having great team around you is is just exciting to be honest. I mean, I love working with young people who are just so sharp, can really go into those depths and, and really help them to also come into their more intuitive gifts as well. So for me, look, I still do bring, I still definitely bring that analytical mind. I mean, I bring that analytical mind even to my thoughts around personal transformation. You know, mm. I, I kind of can't help it. But I try to check myself and say, you know, um, what's my kind of deeper knowing? Like I really try and stay in touch with the, that part of myself which is very hard to define um, and, you know, I'm not really sure, to be honest, where it comes from. But what I know is that I tend to try and still down whenever I'm getting to a point of decision or whenever we're getting into a discussion about a particular venture. And I always ask myself, like, what's the highest truth I can see here? Do you know what I mean? Oh. Like, I really try and take myself up to what's really going on here. And, you know, I think different different people probably have different um, ways of, of engaging with the world generally and different strengths around that. But I think... If you can, if you can really tap into that part that I know that we all do have at some level, then I think it can be um, very powerful and insightful guidance um, in making decisions. Um, but you need to, you need to be, sort of consciously draw yourself in, and it doesn't mean that you're not using checklists. Yeah. Um, our podcast. What we're trying to do with the podcast is attract people who are looking. Uh, people who have maybe a feeling that something isn't working exactly the way they wanted it and may not yeah. have necessarily the right kind of mindset or the right vocabulary to define or recognize what's going on. Um, I'm curious to hear, if you're happy to share, uh, what were the moments or what were the signals you read in your own behavior, in your own body, the reactions from other people um, to actually make you understand that something was a little bit askew and maybe use it also um, to kind of broaden the conversation and ba say, practically based on your own behavior, how do you actually work with companies and founders in the businesses you've invested in to identify, hang on a second, something's changed in the chemistry and the dynamic of that particular team and maybe we should have a conversation. So it's a two-flavored question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, usually, I mean, reflecting on your own process is, I guess, uh, a, a great thing and it's something I try and do a lot. But it's interesting, that particular aspect, like knowing when I'm not in the right place and when things aren't working, um, I just know I'm not having a good time. To be honest, that's probably the best, the best way I can frame it. You know, things are just not working for me. Um, um, I'm missing things. And, and you know, it'll, it'll come out in my performance. Like mm. I'll pick a venture that turns out to be a total dud and I'll go, wow, okay, something went wrong mm. there. Like what yeah. on earth was going on? And I'll look at my decision-making process and go, how did, I, how did I get there? You know, what, what, what was going on for me? 
And it's when I do that, it's usually in the rear view mirror that I can really clearly see it. Because when I'm in the moment, unfortunately, um, I'm often too, you know, caught up in that um, in, in that stuff, in those reactions and those drivers, to be able to step aside from them sometimes. But if I can see that I'm starting to get there, then I will do what I can to try and you know deal with whatever's creating those that 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 um, offness that I've sort of found myself in. But look, that's a like it's a really hard journey. Like um, I I'd love to be able to give you an ABC of you know and now this is how I sorted it out. I mean the reality is I'm still I'm still working on that. You know I'm yeah. still you know, when you're investing, you have you have your portfolio and you have the things that are working well and you have the things that are not working well. And the things that are not working well, they really, you know, I think one of the great skills actually to be a good entrepreneur is actually to be able to let go of the stuff that's not, some of the stuff that's not working well and not carry it around too much because, um, you know, wherever you put your attention tends to tends to expand right um you ideally want to be putting your attention into all those things that are working i think as an investor when you're putting your attention on those things that are working you end up connecting with more ventures that will work i think when you're putting your attention on those things that aren't working suddenly you're bumping into other ventures that are also potentially not going to work so there's a little bit of that success breeds success, which is, I think, in investing, um, part of the, um, there's an internal version of that as well, right, which is that focusing on what's working brings more of what's working. Um, you know, I'm a massive believer that your emotional state is really important um, in ensuring that you're performing well. Um, and it doesn't mean that you need to be happy all the time or elated all the time, but, you know, if you are angry, if you are walking around with a bunch of shame, if you are feeling like you're failing and feeling like you're not doing well, you will carry that into everything you do and you will not be performing at your best. So taking responsibility for that emotional state is, I think, the first thing that you really got to grasp onto. Um, and I think taking responsibility um, in part requires the understanding that actually our emotional state is not something that happens to us. Our emotional state is something that we have some level of control over. Mm. You know? Now, I don't think we have total control over our emotional state. You know, it's a, there's this this cycle right between our thoughts and our feelings and we don't have total control over our thoughts and we don't have control over our emotions but they get this momentum to them and you're getting these great thoughts great feelings or you're getting these negative thoughts negative feelings and you've got to find ways if you were going into a negative version of that momentum you've got to find ways to short circuit it and that is where things like meditation become important um, I think meditation can break that momentum a little bit, but I also think there are other ways that you have to use as well as meditation. You have to bring some level of consciousness to what state am I in now? 
you know, when I'm having this in this board meeting, am I angry? Am I um, feeling shame? Am I feeling defensive? You know, if you carry those things into any of your engagements, they will play out in how well you operate in that space. Mm. Um, so I think taking responsibility, learning how to manage it, learning how to bring that emotional state to your consciousness is, I think, really important. And it's interesting, I think, you know, investors typically, you know, my experience is investors are a lot, they can be a pretty cool bunch of cucumbers, you know, where they're actually probably, they keep their emotions in reasonable, under a reasonably tight rein. Maybe mm-hmm. I can put it that way. Um, and I think that's got its strengths and its weaknesses as well. But, you know, I think entrepreneurs much more so can be a very emotional lot. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, I think that's where the energy for entrepreneurialism comes from. You know, it's that hunger, it's that passion, it's the inspiration, all of those things are the energy that drives entrepreneurs to sort of, you know, break out where other entrepreneurs are plotting in some cases, for example. But, you know, I think... For emotional entrepreneurs, their journey is to learn how to have, how to, you know, how to have some level of control over that journey because um, the same drive that can take you to incredible highs can also take you right down. Um, And so the work I do with entrepreneurs, I would say that's where I um, actually get the most joy, to be honest is in working with entrepreneurs who are these um, kind of untamed, you know, creatures and and giving them some of the tools to learn how to manage their own emotional space, their own emotional state so that it doesn't become, you know, existential for them. Mm. You are listening to Naked by The Future Farm, where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core. Is it something you do in a proactive way or is it something where you wait to see how they behave and you kind of come back with, hey, by the way, I've noticed this, shall we have a conversation? Is it something that you do in a structured way? Um, not as much as I probably would like. I probably should do it in a more structured way. I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that it's tricky as an investor. So while I enjoy that work, I can't be their coach at the same time. Like mm. I can't just be their coach because um, they're always going to have some point where they're like, oh, can I say that to Simon? He's my investor, you know. Yeah, and we've been hearing this think? a lot from them. Mm. Of course, of this course. Dilemma. And I mm. think it would be hubris to sort of think that I can be their coach as much as I enjoy it. And I do think that as an investor, you have a role um, in helping your entrepreneurs, you know, to to go on their personal journey. You're, you're part of that. But you're not actually the counsellor or the coach in that. Um, and while you can bring some awareness to it, um, you can't try and get inside their heads too much uh, and, you know, demand full access to what's going on for them because I don't, I don't think it's fair because they, 
you know, that they know that they'll, they'll feel that they have to say, oh, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what's going on for me. But they're invariably going to feel a point where they, they don't feel comfortable. So I do try and encourage our entrepreneurs to have a coach and to have a counsellor. I then also work with them where I can to share the insights that I can if I see them going through an emotional patch or an emotional struggle. I'll try and share what insights I can, usually at that point in time, because I can see what they're going through at that point in time. Um, if it's to do with an investment and we're making the investment and it's we're in that sort of other side of the table period of time, I also know that it's going to be almost impossible at that point for me to be as um, helpful and for them to be as open with me as I might like them to be. But at other times, I can absolutely play that role. Um, so, yeah, so is it structured? No, it's very, it's, it's, it's very much, you know, point in time, feeling what's needed when it's needed. Um, I do encourage them to try and get structured support. And I actually personally believe that entrepreneurs should get structured support. I mean, I can say for me personally, I have two coach slash counsellors that I speak to. Um, one's a man and one's a woman. <laughs> mm, good. Balancing the energy. Bringing, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I um, have been working with them now for seven years. Mm. So... I think there's incredible value in working with someone who actually has history with you and who has seen you through different climates and different times in your life. And they can bring much more honesty to you than someone who's meeting for you, you know, for the first time or you've spent a year with and has only yeah. seen you in this context. Yeah. But let's unpack this a little bit because so what you are talking about again, resonates highly. We've been hearing a lot from entrepreneurs that they they actually are like or have all eyes open towards this option. Like I might get somebody to help me to look inwards and I might get a coach and stuff. But a lot of times, you know, as an as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you look on your cost sheet and you are like, if I'm investor backed, how would I even defend this cost? So a lot of times yeah. they were they're saying that my investor does not necessarily has that awareness that this is an important investment for me. So here, like you know, hearing from you this as Rain Venture, you guys are and and maybe I'm assuming, but please talk to us a little bit more about this, that you are openly talking to your portfolio that this is something important. There you should get a coach, yeah. invest into what else can investor do in that regard? Because we've been hearing that having an investor is actually one of the key stressors for the founders and, and creates, yeah. you know, the pressure for mental, emotional health. So here we yeah, are totally. in this dilemma of like, yeah. So, so what else can investors do? And also for, well, those I mean, I think investors, I think investors should value it. I think they're crazy mm. not to value it. So, I mean, we have, um, We've, we've actually done experimented with different models over time, but, you know, we subsidize coaching for our entrepreneurs. Okay. Um, and we encourage them to use that. Um, in fact, particularly during this whole COVID crisis, we've created an arrangement where they get three free sessions with them and then, you know, we'll continue to subsidize um, some of the work. I think there's value in 
the entrepreneur making some of the investment out of their own, doesn't have to be their personal pocket, but out of their their broader sense of pocket mm. because you, you do get that phenomenon of if you haven't made the investment, you don't value it. But, you know, certainly some of the best investors in my from my experience of them, um, you know, they do care about their founders. I think they are committed to helping their founders on their own journey. So I think we're moving to a period, we're definitely in a period where there's more recognition of the value of it. Um, But, you know, I think we could still, I think there's plenty of way to go in that. There's no doubt when you get, you know, very analytical investors who are very cool-headed, they can easily sort of undervalue the uh, importance of the personal journey and managing emotions and things like that. You know, if you're someone who's got your emotions under lock and key and (laughs) someone's telling you, an entrepreneur comes to you and says, I need some support, you're like, well, just get it together, you know. Um, And I see that attitude in in people and I'm in the fortunate position where I can sort of set the rules as to how we operate, but, you know, I think it's it's not universal. I'm looking behind my back here because I have this book uh, by the co-founder of Kickstarter, which is called This Could Be Our Future. And it's interesting because what you're talking about relates to what he, kind of the premise of the book, which is about new value creation in the system. And I'm just thinking, do you think that everything what you just described actually requires that shift that investors are actually going to value also different value creation that the financial value which the companies you know the ROI which comes from the in portfolio that might be also on the value of okay how those communities you know we have all this social impact sphere but it goes beyond are you seeing anything of this around ourselves yeah no I am I think that that stuff ebbs and flows a little bit um because I think you get people who are passionate about it and um, and then you get window dressing. You know, you get that cycle, like the passionate people and then you start to get a bit of window dressing and people are doing the right sort of things but it's not really creating any value and then you get the cynicism that says, oh, why are we doing this anyway? And, mm. you know, it. so I do, I do think it ebbs and flows. Um, I think that stuff, is, you know, you've got to remember that everyone sort of sits in some chain, long chain of <laughs> people that they're sort of trying to report to or please. Oh, yeah, or, that's so true. You. Mm. So, you know, we have LPs and the LPs yeah. have their own views. So if I say, oh, we're going to value X, Y, Z, then I have to get my LPs to agree on that. So, you know, the fact that we're seeing more impact investments is, yeah, absolutely. Um, LPs are, are thinking about more than just returns. Um, some LPs, but not all LPs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of that stuff really comes down to that broader community consciousness. Where are we at in terms of community consciousness? And, you know, I mean, to be honest, I think this whole corona experience, I I think it's going to have a dramatic effect on community consciousness. I actually don't know. It could go in any number of ways, but mm. I think it's going to have a dramatic effect one way or the other. Certainly a systemic um, change, yeah. Yeah, Which for might sure. be required for this. 
It's going to be yeah. interesting to to listen back to this a year or two down the line where we might have some more clarity about where this has actually gone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, you can see so many different currents, right? Like you can see um, a version of insularity and xenophobia kind of peaking in a way that it never has, which is concerning on one level, right? Um, on another level, there's been this whole equation that every country has had to um, stare at, which is what's human life worth versus the economy, you know. Um, and look, you know, and then you'll get the debates that go, well, the economy is also going to have an impact on human life, and that's true. But, you know, I think that it's been a real test of values in all sorts of ways. Um, and then it's also been a question of, you know, can we work together as a community to try and, um, you know, contain virus, whatever it might be. So it's so many different debates and currents have come up in it, but it's incredible yeah. shock to the system. It can't help but leave a, leave some sort of legacy. I'm the eternal optimist, so I'm going to say that ultimately <laughs> we'll come out of it um, stronger um, and, yeah. and hopefully with greater consciousness. I honestly feel that we can come out of it with a greater level of consciousness as a community, but, you know, we'll find out. Yeah. It's, it's, so I'm a big... So for me, one of the things I'm really always interested in is signals and tools. And and in the context yeah. of Corona, I've been through um, a, an unexpected amount of anxiety. And, and it's very unusual yeah. for me. I usually am very much an optimist, trying to kind of balance things out. But I've been going through six weeks of feeling really anxious until very recently, I had a conversation with a friend who practically started talking to me about grieving and started using the process of grieving to explain to me what he thinks I was experiencing. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then he said, look, you've lost a lot of things that you care about, which is your freedom mm. to travel, your freedom mm. to enjoy culture, your, your intimacy with people, because I like having people around and I develop thought in conversation with other people. And when he, when he kind of put this in my head, suddenly I realized that a lot of the things that I, uh, I have experienced could be really tagged with grief, uh, with elements of grieving. And the moment I had this lexicon and the moment I had mm. categories for the stuff that I was experiencing, I felt much more in control of the process. Yeah. So for the first time in six weeks, I'm feeling a little bit more relaxed. <laughs> but uh, I still want us to talk a little bit about tools. Um, so going back to the conversation we have about your portfolio, because when you talk about the way you, you, you look at founders, you kind of encourage them to do... Um, that you have an element of introspection and self-awareness and, um, and also the stuff you provide, you, you talk about coaching predominantly. But would you also have other things you can recommend to a listener, especially somebody who's at the very early stage of this, um, that they can tap into before they even get to, hey, I need somebody who will help me structure my thoughts? Um. Sorry, I've got uh, background dogs who are obviously... Yeah, um... we all love dogs. <laughs> Mine is just behind yeah. the door here. <laughs> Can I, Nick Taris, is it okay if I actually just talk briefly about your grief point? Sure, um, sure. Momentarily? Yeah. I, I think, I, I mean, I think having a lexicon for grief is incredibly important and actually mm. having permission to have to feel grief is actually incredibly important. Um. And yet, you know, Kubler-Ross talks about the five stages of grief, right? The sort of denial, the anger, the bargaining, the, um, the uh, what is it? The, the I think, despair and finally acceptance. Yeah. 
yeah, depression, I think, and then acceptance. Uh, and look, there's no order to them. They're all over the shop yeah. and it happens. And it's just different emotions that can come at you out of the blue. And I had exactly the same thing. I had a lot of anxiety in the very early phases of this. And I've also noticed a couple of times when I've just had these kind of outbursts and I almost have no idea where it's come from. Mm. But one of the things I would say about grief is that, you know, gr- grief on some level is actually the one of the ultimate transformative personal transformation tools. You know, when we have feelings of loss, um, when we actually letting go of a way that we used to deal with the world, there is almost always grief associated with it. And often that grief is more connected with a particular experience. It might be the, the failing of a company. It might be the failing of a relationship. Um, we, we grieve the relationship. If you can be with that grief, then actually what you can grieve is that aspect of you that created that failure, you know, and if you're going to transform that aspect of yourself that was intimately involved in that failure, you have to be able to sit with the grief and let it, let it do its work. Face it, um, yeah. Because grief does do work on us. Mm. Um, and what I've seen, and, and, you know, I mean, when I talk about this, you know, I also, my um, first marriage, you know, didn't work when I was in my 30s. And that was an incredibly transformative period for me as well. Um, but I've seen various people, and I've seen this with relationships, and I've seen this with ventures, which is when things don't work, instead of being with that grief, people run towards the next thing. And they either run towards the next thing or they sit in that place of anger, resentment, blame. Um, and it doesn't shift. And sometimes it can really um, calcify that anger. You know, it can be quite a deadening experience. So I think we have to find a way to be with grief um, in order to grow as people. No, no, I think what you just said, Simon, is, is also important because when we, we, we talk about your journey and we talk about the people that you have in your portfolio, we talk about people who are uh, active entrepreneurs. Um, but you also know that in, in our research and the interviews we've conducted so far, we also come across a lot of people who don't want to talk about their entrepreneurial journey, but the end of it, either when they exited a business because it failed or even when they exited a business successfully in inverted commas, and then they had to deal with a period of loss and mourning and grieving and not knowing what's going on. And I was quite naive because I assumed that, yeah, if, business, if you run a business against the wall for whatever reason, it's understandable. But I was not prepared to listen to somebody who had a multi-million dollar exit going, I have no idea how to deal with the emptiness. I don't know how to deal with the loss of relationships, patterns, um, motivation, and, and ultimately there's the same thing you just talked about uh, in the context of the coronavirus and the grieving, we can apply to that as well, right? So what you just described mm-hmm. is really insightful. And, and I hope that we can also kind of draw a, a lot more out of this than, than just the kind of the very high level mm-hmm. um, headlines of our conversation. This, this is something mm-hmm. we can probably talk 
for an entire episode <laughs> just about that, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are useful, there are frameworks that sort of take us there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, actually, this is the whole framework of the hero's journey. So, and, and it's interesting, I've, you know, one of the things that's always stuck with me, I can't remember one of, I think it was actually a writing teacher who told me about this, but the, you know, the most important aspect of the hero's journey is it's often, it's actually sometimes called the hero's return because the most important aspect is hearing the call again and going on the next journey. And it's the failing to go on that next journey which involves the calcification. You know, you stop and you get stuck and you go, no, I don't want to go on some random new exciting journey in my life. Like I'm done with excitement. Mm. I'm out, you know. Um, so I think, you know, these these frameworks are actually useful in, in helping us understand the patterns and the, the experiences we're having in our own life. Mm. And thanks for talking to us about those frameworks because I think they might not be that familiar to everybody. Um, it's very refreshing to hear this from you and, and, and even when I use that head of yours from an investor, really, um, yeah. it just, it sounds different. <laughs> um, so. yeah, look, I, I think as Victoria said, like we could go on for another hour, but, uh, let's kind of slowly wrap up here. Um, you know, we have this one question, which we try to ask everybody. Let's see how that kind of runs with you. Um, which is what, topics or themes do you feel that we could talk more about within the founders entrepreneurial investor space what is it that needs to be talked more about um well i mean look i think these are the things that need to be talked about you know i do think that 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 the personal journey needs to be talked about but i think connecting that to value is something that would be great to understand i mean i think you asked that mm. question before you know um are, are people seeing are people getting away from only needing to see the sort of bottom line result and i would say mm, not really like i think people are by and large still pretty much focused on the bottom line result um i think connecting this to this sort of stuff to value creation is actually quite important if you really going to give it the attention that it deserves. But sometimes, you know, my, my great learning has been, um, you know, sometimes you just have to let go. <laughs> <laughs> so what an amazing conversation. Yeah, very refreshing. It landed, like I, I have this good feeling now in my body. What, mm. what do you mean by refreshing? I guess... Just after having a bunch of conversations, which were in privacy or in private way uh, with many investors around the world, it was mostly this response like, oh, yeah, it is important, but you know what? We, it, it's not our role really to step in. And that's kind of where we usually ended the conversation. So seeing somebody in that role being that deeply reflective of the need and and also like i guess the fact that yes he said that you know what there might be boundaries and we are trying to work around those boundaries in terms of how deeply we can actually support entrepreneurs that's the part i found refreshing so it's not it wasn't black and white but he was very aware that was it for me i mean it would have been yeah for somebody who's as 
as differentiated in his thinking and as aware, it would have been also odd to, if he were to present this as a, this is the only way and there's a, there's a right and a wrong, right? Because he's not binary. He sees all the nuances mm. and, and, and um, I think it was interesting how he also a little bit kind of didn't equate his personal journey with, he didn't make a clear connection with, hey, I've experienced this when I was in my 20s and then I did it again when I was in my 40s. And by the way, this is the reason why I'm um, looking at the portfolio from a perspective. He has his much more fundamental... Um, but I guess when we were talking together about that this is a continuous journey, I think yeah. that's where I found it, where it was like, you know, the 20s was one, like as for a lot of us, is like we have many kind of uh, bumps on the way and they all teach us something. So that's kind of how I absorbed it and, 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 and understood it. Um, you know, the part where we were talking together about that this is actually wider change. That's where I was like clicking. The fact that we said about the systemic change, that this is not just about founders who need to change or approach this more self-aware. It's not just about the investors, but there are also people like LPs, right? The limited partners who invest into investors, who put the metrics and, you know, co-create the value system. That, that's where I'm like, yes, that's it. But how do we, I guess, start many small fires to start pushing that shift, which is bigger than ourselves as individuals? That, that's the big question. I'm really interested maybe even further together to explore. And it's also when he said that it, it's a shock to the system. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of those big changes and shifts really, unfortunately, I guess, but maybe that's how it, how it works, that there needs to be a revolution. Uh, there needs to be a shock to kind of get you, you know, shaky and, and, and basically let you know that something is not working well. Like I've, hear, I've heard entrepreneurs saying the system is broken. And I think that that's like, you know, Corona, it's kind of, for me, a manifestation of, of that, maybe of that impulse to look back and be like, Phew, what do we do now in a bigger scale? Um, yeah, there's, there's the reset button that some people think this thing is pushing, right? It's pressing. Mm. It's, um, it merits an entire long conversation just on that, really. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it kind of triggered me in a, in a positive way. I, I, I realized that we were talking, my brain started wondering because I was trying to process some of the things he was saying. Um, yeah. I loved when he said, and maybe that was the pragmatic mind of his, um, but, and also that's probably how I process information as well. When he said, like, for this to make it work, we need to connect it to actually some evidence, some, you know, metrics to, to enable us to actually measure or bring, bring up that evidence that having a more emotionally healthy journey as a founder can lead to a better success of that venture. And then, you know, the investor's portfolio and the system uh, bigger and, and the system at, 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 at large, I guess. And I was thinking, yes, so let's that that's the piece probably we need to be all kind of 
doing more work on is like exploring what those metrics are and bringing some of those evidences although it feels like we shouldn't need to but i guess that's you know how a lot of the change happens also you've been listening to naked by the future farm where entrepreneurship is stripped to its vulnerable core to learn more about our work sign up to our newsletter or visit thefuturefarm.co where you can also apply to be a naked guest Naked is produced by Dan Tržil, coordinating producer Alena Diamidava, and edited by Catherine Dworkin.